trafficking is moving from the street to the smartphone. January is National Human Trafficking Awareness Month, and a lot of parents have misconceptions about how teens are vulnerable to trafficking. They think it's through kidnapping, but it's really through social media. So I would love to kind of hone in on that and talk about some social media safety, that ways that parents can help protect their teens online. Let's empower and encourage and equip families. Hello and welcome. I'm Lori Hardy, and thanks for listening in as we talk with leaders, Dr. Nurse Mama. Dr. Jessica Peck is with us today. Welcome back, Dr. Jessica Peck. Hello. I'm so excited to not only talk to you about your book and your podcast, but we have something else that is uh, very special for this month that we're going to address. So let's address that first, and then we'll get to your book and your podcast. What is this month? January is actually National Human Trafficking Awareness Month. I wrote this book behind closed doors, but really, if you go upstream and look at my story, it was largely inspired by my work in anti-trafficking. So I'll tell you a story about how I got started in all of this because 10 years ago about, you know, I'm a nursing professor. I am a pediatric nurse practitioner. I'm a mom of four myself. So I felt like I had my finger on the pulse of what was going on in pediatrics and things that could impact child health. And in my community, I was friends with my state senator and his wife and his wife ran an anti-trafficking agency and advocacy group here in our community. She calls me and she says, Jessica, will you help me write continuing education for nurses about human trafficking? And Lori, I said, absolutely not. No, I don't know anything about trafficking. I said, that's not how this works. That's not how any of this works. Let me find you an expert who can help you. And as she started to give me information, and as I started to look in my community and to learn more about it, I actually had to call her back and apologize. And I said, you know, I've been asking you the wrong question. I said, how can I help you? But the right question is, how can I not help you? And so at that time, I was working with the National Association of Pediatric Nurse Practitioners. We took it to the national level. We started the Alliance for Children and Trafficking. I helped create a speakers bureau and statewide continuing education for Texas, helped pass legislation that requires all direct care providers in Texas to take uh, continuing education because I think parents, they hear it and it's scary. It kind of makes your heart get a beat a little bit to think, oh, I don't want that to happen. But Lori, I'm excited to talk to you today about what trafficking is and what it is not and how parents can protect their kids. I am so glad about this because I worked with homeless women for years and so many of them were trafficked and they didn't even recognize it. They would come to this day center and they would talk about their boyfriend. I didn't know enough. And I'd be like, that's not, no, mm -mm, boyfriends don't do that. So can you talk about what this is and especially in pertaining to teens? Yes, absolutely. So you probably have seen a post that goes something like this on social media. Someone will get onto usually a community Facebook page or maybe their own personal social media page. And they'll say, I don't usually post about things like this, but I was almost abducted by a trafficker in Target or Walmart or the grocery store. You've probably seen a post like that. They will recount a story that sounds frightening, that is someone following them around and they're worried that they're going to get kidnapped. And then it starts a big discussion about how, you know, it's so scary and we have to not go to the grocery store alone and those kinds of things. It's so sad to me, honestly, because as a person who works with people who are trafficked every day, that's not how it happens. 
kidnapping accounts for less than 5% of all trafficking cases. And it doesn't make them any less horrible. They're horrible, they're awful, but it should change the way we as parents talk to our kids about what is the risk factor. So we don't need to be talking to them as much about preventing stranger danger in regards to trafficking. Kids are usually trafficked online or in real life by someone they know or someone they think they know. Trafficking is moving from the street to the smartphone. And traffickers don't have to kidnap someone because there are so many kids who are vulnerable to being groomed into a situation where they're abused or exploited. So I'll give you one of unfortunately many case scenarios that I work with to show you how this happens. One family that I worked with and met here in my community had a 14 year old girl who went to the local high school. Her parents went through a divorce and there were some difficult circumstances surrounding that. And her mom was very involved and engaged in doing the best she could. But the girl had some mental health struggles, got in, involved in a crowd of people that uh, got into some trouble. She went to juvenile justice. And there she met a recruiter who is a person who works for a trafficker. Often recruiters are the same age or gender as the, as the person they're trying to recruit. They're usually someone who is very attractive, very charismatic, has a lot of money, has backstage access to popular concerts or gives really good gifts or shows up at a party with beer. And they don't seem scary at all. And so this girl eventually was recruited into a trafficking situation and uh, she left home and her mother tried to find her and found her, but she went back to her trafficking situation because once you're abused and exploited in trafficking, you start to have a trauma bond with that trafficker. You think this is someone who loves me. This is someone who cares about me. And then you have the family on the other side who are saying, what are you doing? Doing, you're making terrible choices. And so it can be very easy to be wrapped into that narrative. Unfortunately, this girl died in her trafficking experience and her mother has dedicated her life to educating people about the signs and getting help early. But, you know, Laurie, I could tell you a lot of a lot of stories like that where it happens. So it's really important for parents to know that this can happen right under their nose and they just need to have open conversation with their kids about it. So one of the things that I have heard from different teachers that Sometimes there's a student that maybe their behavior really changes or something. It doesn't occur to them it could be sex trafficking because they're still living at home. It happens right in our own homes. It does. Uh, I've worked with kids who are trafficked. They still go to school. They still have an after-school job and they're in our community and coming to social events. So how it can happen online is a teenager may meet someone who they think is their age and they say they're a friend of a friend and they're in all of their friend circles. And so they just kind of have credibility by proxy. So maybe they start just chatting with, maybe it's explicit. Maybe they start sharing photos. And then all of a sudden that relationship will change in an instant and they'll say, give me more photos, or I will send these photos I have to your school, to your parents, you know, or they threaten harm to someone they love. And then all of a sudden they feel like they're overwhelmed and they feel a lot of shame because they feel like, why didn't I know this? Like, why didn't I know better? I'm going to be in so much trouble. What will people think of me? This is so embarrassing. And so it's hard for them to get out of that situation. But things that parents should look for are excessive online social media engagement. 
if they're just on their phone all the time, if they have multiple cell phones, if they have they have time that's unaccounted for, if they have uh, friends that you don't really know and they seem to be buying expensive gifts or they're going places where their time is unaccounted for. Of course, not one of those things could indicate trafficking, but when parents have that spidey sense, something is just not right, then they should say something. Now, I should also say here, Lori, that unfortunately, we're seeing an increase in familial trafficking too, which means a family member trafficking someone. So this is why parents should talk to their teens about seeing signs in their friends and talking to a trusted adult, because sometimes it's not their parents or their family who's going to say something. They may be, in fact, causing them harm. But if their friends see signs, then they should be able to go to a trusted teacher or a school counselor or a parent that they know and be able to say, hey, I see something here that's not quite right. One thing that comes to my mind is a parent has got those spidey senses and the mm-hmm. kids say, no, no, no. The parent's like, I know something going on, where can they go for help? How can they get some support to intervene in this situation? I think a good accessible point for pretty much any parent of any teen is a primary health care provider. We are trained to look for signs of trauma, for signs of mental health, for signs of trafficking. We're even trained in that. And sometimes having that confidential conversation with someone that you as a parent know and trust, um, it can be easier to disclose that in the health setting, to tell someone about, to get help. Uh, So that would be a good place to go. You can also go and contact anti-trafficking advocacy organizations in your community. Many of them have resources for parents. The one that I work with is called Unbound Now Houston. And if you just go to unboundhouston.org on the internet, there are free online trainings for parents that tell them exactly what to look for and exactly what to do if they're concerned about their teen. Sometimes, you know, we just have to act against our teen's will for their safety. Sometimes we just have to do that. So they may be angry at you, but the earlier you intervene, then the less risk of harm there will be. When they're going, no, no, I'm fine, but you still have that feeling. Sometimes I think you need to just get some support and and say you go to the doctor, the nurse, and they're like, you're overreacting, but at least you've told somebody else, like you haven't then kept that secret. There's no shame in that. Think about how often parents do that when their kids are little and they think they might have an ear infection. If the healthcare provider says, hey, the ears are fine, the parents say, great, I'm glad I came and now I know. And that should be the same attitude that we take with issues of trauma or mental health. I was talking to somebody with an organization, an anti-trafficking organization, and they said, we'd rather get 100 calls that aren't. That's right. And not get one. That is. That is so very true. And there are really some very simple things that parents can do to make sure that their child is not accessed by a predator online. Because I work with a lot of families who are great, strong families, and then they find themselves in the situation that they never saw coming. Of course, kids with risk factors are going to be more vulnerable. So kids who are in foster care, juvenile justice, who have experienced abuse, who have um, gender identity issues, you know, all of those things are going to compound risk because any, any vulnerability you have, a disability, a mental health condition is going to make you more vulnerable to being exploited. These are the three things that I would tell parents to do. First, 
Make sure you don't allow your child on social media until they're at least 13 years of age. That is the minimum age set by the federal law and the Children's Online Privacy Act. And then after that, it should be a discussion, an individual discussion. Shouldn't be the same age for every sibling. I have one kid who could have probably handled a social media account at the age of four and another who might be 40. (laughs) have to be individual and kids need good self-esteem and they need to be able to show abstract thinking that they can reason through situations that could be a safety concern. So that's one. Number two is make sure that the profile set to private. Only about half of kids use privacy settings on their social media. And when I ask them, is your social media private? They look at me like I have two heads. They don't even understand what that means in this digital world because you want to be public. So you're discovered like Justin Bieber or Charlie D'Amelio, but having a private account limits access to information that predators can use to groom your child. And along that line, everybody's profile picture is private. So if you have a minor using an account, it should be a generic picture like a puppy or a beach or a geometric pattern. And then the third thing is to disable geotagging on your iPhone's pictures. When you take a picture with your iPhone, it takes a precise latitude, longitude, and altitude. And it's very easy if that photo is published publicly to extract that metadata and to be able to follow your child around. So I've seen situations where somebody will be a runner in the neighborhood and then the child gets really comfortable with them. Oh, that's the guy that runs in our neighborhood every day. Or maybe if they're waiting tables, oh, this is a regular customer. Or maybe if they're at school, oh, that's another kid's parent. And they start to have a false sense of security. So just making sure that you set those settings to not allow geotagging, those three things will really go a long way in protecting your kid's online presence. So we talked about if a parent has an idea or a thought, but if somebody, say maybe the child reveals even accidentally to someone, like an aunt or a neighbor, what would be the best thing for them to do, their next best step? So for every state, there are certain adults who are classified as mandated reporters. So you have to know if you're a teacher or in any other you know, supervisory role of children, if you're a healthcare provider or working with children in any way, if you're a mandated reporter, you need to abide by your state laws. That's the first thing. The second thing, as far as getting help, one of the things you can do if you don't know what to do, you think I have no idea where to even start, just call the National Human Trafficking Hotline. That number is very easy to memorize. It's 888-3737-888. I'll say it one more time. It's 888-3737-8888. You can also text the word help to the number be free and there's an online chat and they can help connect you to resources. That would be helpful too. There are healthcare providers who are set up. There is local law enforcement who have received training. So those are other possible resources, community advocacy organizations. But the first step that I would do, if you just have no idea where to start, would be to call the National Human Trafficking Hotline. Now, one thing I want to bring up too is there's times when you talked about the kids that might be more more vulnerable may have more issues. So it might be easy to think if they say something that maybe they're making it up. What would you say to that? You should always believe a kid when they tell you something. Of course, you need to investigate it and do your due diligence, but always, always believe it. Kids are so afraid sometimes to make an outcry. It takes a 
tremendous amount of courage. So they may do it in an inappropriate way. We have to remember their brains are not fully developed. They may make a joke or an offhand remark just to kind of float it a little bit to see what kind of reaction that they would get. So you should always take it seriously. If a child discloses any form of exploitation or abuse, stop the conversation, stop whatever it is you're doing and give that child the communication that I care about you. So we are going to talk to somebody who's going to help us. Now they may back off and say, no, 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 don't tell anybody. And you just be calm and confident and say, I care about you and this is what we're going to do. That is really important to do. So one of the things that I think is so alarming and I keep hearing this is, you know, really stranger danger isn't what we want to be focusing on. It's that familiar and it could be maybe a stepdad, a step parent. It could be a neighbor. How do we talk to our kids in a way we don't set them up to be fearful all the time? I think, you know, the fact that it's not stranger danger so much to be afraid of, I think that's empowering. And knowledge is power for kids. We can talk to them about things that are uh, that are hard in a developmentally appropriate way that makes them feel empowered to act. So if I was talking to, say, a younger teenager, my own teenager about trafficking, I would tell them, you know, sometimes on the Internet, there are people who are just not nice and they want to abuse and exploit you in ways that you don't even know about yet. And so you have to be careful. So I want you to know that if anyone ever contacts you in a way that makes you uncomfortable, or if you just feel like something is not right, I want you to know you will never be in trouble for coming and talking to me about that. And I will help you figure it out. And that's really important because just recently I was talking to a group of eighth graders about internet safety. And they said some adults had contacted them through video game messaging, which sometimes parents forget, you know, you can contact, there's a messaging capability in a lot of video games. And they had asked them inappropriate things. So the first question I asked these boys was, did you talk to your parents or any other adults about it? And I'm sure, Lori, you can guess. The answer was, heck no. And the reason is because, hey, we really love playing this game and we don't want our parents to take it away from us. And so that can be really scary for kids to talk about, but sometimes just saying, have you seen or heard anything that makes you feel uncomfortable? Just know, no matter what happens, we'll work through it together. That's really important. So now that we're talking about this a lot more, because we didn't understand this was going on, what would you say to somebody who's listening and they're thinking, oh my goodness, when I was young, that happened to me and they've never told anyone. You know, that is one of the most heartbreaking things I've experienced in traveling all around the world, really talking about trafficking. And as I talk about it, there is inevitably someone in the audience who remembers or recognizes their abuse or exploitation for the first time. And that is really hard. And so what I would tell you is that if that's you, this is a step towards healing. Recognizing the abuse and exploitation that you experienced is the first most critical step in healing. And if you've never reached out to anybody, now is the time to do that. So whether that's your primary care provider or a counselor or a pastor or someone that you just trust who will help you get connected to services to start a journey of healing, it is never, ever, ever too late to do that. 
I think the statistic for people who are abused as children and then finally as adults tell their story, I believe it's 26 years. It takes a lot of people that long to finally say the words. It does. And it's okay. And everyone's healing journey is different. But for those who have kids taking that healing journey, it actually can impact your DNA. When we have trauma that is unaddressed, it affects the way that our DNA is read and transcribed. And we can actually pass that trauma on. Now that may seem scary and depressing, but let's look at the flip side of that. Seeking healing can heal generations to come. And that's a really powerful motivator for some people to think, you know what, I've lived my life, I've made my peace with it, but seeking healing can actually impact uh, your kids and your grandkids and your great grandkids. That's a pretty beautiful thing. That is so incredible. And the, the thing I would add, not to scare you if you do have a story, but when you are ready to share your story a little more broadly, you're going to touch a life that maybe they thought this has never happened to anybody. I'm all alone and I have so much shame. By you sharing your story and your journey, you may pull somebody else up from that trap. That's exactly right. And that's the privilege that I've had in working with survivor leaders across the country who have shared their story. And it really helps other people to recognize, oh, I'm not alone. This didn't just happen to me. You know, there are other people who understand. There are people who can help me heal. I think that's that's really powerful. One of my colleagues who's an anti-trafficking advocate, her name is Holly Austin Smith, and she was actually trafficked from a mall in Chuckerton, New Jersey. She met her recruiter there. She grew up in a home where she thought, you know, things were kind of bad, but she certainly knew kids who had it worse. You know, maybe her parents fought a little bit and drank a little too much, but she felt like she didn't have the worst case on the, on, on the block. And she was walking with her friends through the mall and saw her recruiter, really attractive guy who was just on a phone and just kind of looked at her. And she said, in the, it, I felt like it was the first time anyone in my life had ever seen me. And he just wrote his phone number on her hand and just said, call me. She said, there was no scary guy in a white van. She didn't feel fear at all in that moment. She felt attracted. She felt seen and valued and appreciated. And so through him cultivating a relationship with her, she ended up on the streets of Atlantic City uh, being sold. And I think that, too, it's also important, as I share that story of sex trafficking, to know that children are also trafficked for labor. That can happen, too, especially in rural agricultural areas and hospitality industries, selling magazines for childcare. So we can't lose sight of that as well, that Children are also exploited for labor. And so to have that mindset. And the last thing that I'll say about our mindset is that we kind of have this image of a trafficker who we'll call a pimp. And that's the only time you'll hear me say that word because it conveys this societal glorification. And if we're really honest, creates this picture in our mind, that is just not the reality of what we see a lot of times. It could be a military veteran or a teacher or a pastor or uh, an employer or a family member. And this is the same with, with people who are trafficked. We're expecting to see a white female who's waiting to be rescued. And that's just not the case. People of color are more disproportionately impacted and many people don't recognize their need for rescue. That's why having said all of this, early intervention is best. So if you see something, say something, just like you said, Lori, it's really important for parents or friends to speak up when they see those things that are concerning and talk to a trusted adult. So intervention can happen before great harm occurs. Hearing you talk about it, 
opens up a little for us to think, hey, this could happen in our neighborhood. I think that that we kind of want to be naive. We kind of want to believe not here, not us. And that if we can just be educated and know that it's a possibility, then we may see something. That's exactly right. And Maddie, the girl that I talked about at the very beginning and, and still working with her mother, um, we, we just recently had a community event where we invited community leaders and Maddie's mom told her story. And you could just see the shock on everyone's face. Like, wait, she went to school with my kid? Like, wait, no, she she lived in this neighborhood? Wait, she went to this church? Wait, she she shopped at this grocery store, you know, and to realize it's happening right there. It's one of those things you don't want to think about because it's, you know, scary, but I think it's one of those things we have to think about. And if we do, and if we're prepared, then it makes it less scary. Unboundhouston.org. So just go on there. If you go up in the right-hand menu, you'll see trainings and there are free online trainings for parents for school educators, for healthcare providers, for dental professionals, all kinds of free trainings that you can just take online and have accessible to you 24 seven. That's evidence-based, excellent education that will tell you more of what you need to know. I really think everybody would benefit from taking the training, whether you're a grandma, whether you work at a grocery store, whether you're in a school system. I think the more people that would take the training and be aware, we could get the statistics down. I agree. And also for educators, there's a new curriculum you'll see on the website called Sentinels, which is a series of little micro videos that teachers can even use in their class. And so we would come to your school district. There are so many resources available for you. And you're right. If all of us take training, if all of us are educated and aware, that's definitely going to help our communities. I love that. Thank you so much for enlightening us. Now, I want to, I don't want to leave without mentioning <laughs> Your book, Behind Closed Doors, A Guide to Help Parents and Teens Navigate Through Life's Toughest Issues. I'll tell you an honest confession, Lori, when I go to speak in community events, there are a lot of times where people are asking me, are you going to talk about trafficking? Because that's my primary area of nursing expertise. I'll say no, and they'll say good. I'm oh. glad I don't want to hear that. And so what I've discovered, though, is that it really trafficking risk happens way upstream in issues that I cover in the book. So that's mental health, that's experiencing electronic aggression or cyberbullying or other negative behaviors online, substance abuse, sex and sexting, all of those things are covered in behind closed doors. So if you're thinking, okay, I want to make sure that I am looking at my kid and giving them every possible protection that I can, that wraparound guide to help you create a healthy relationship with your teen to help give them protective factors against risk for exploitation or abuse. You'll find them in behind closed doors. And then you have a podcast, which I've been listening to Dr. Nurse Mama. You did. And you made me feel a little bit famous, Lori. Oh my <laughs> gosh. Radio hosts listening to my podcast. I'm so excited. Yes. Dr. Nurse Mama. So that is my persona for my guide on the side for you listening as a parent. It's my professor brain, my hands-on nursing experience and my heart as a mom. And in this series in the podcast, we're taking each chapter, one chapter at a time and unwrapping a little bit. And I'm co-hosting with a pastor, actually, Brian 
campaigns where we're really exploring the intersection of faith and health. And it's great because we ask each other really tough questions. No topic is off limits. We are going there and talking about all the hard things. So if you want to be a fly on the wall and listen in, we would love to have you join. There is hope and just hug your babies and know that you're going to have challenging moments, but it's, it's so all worth it. It's such a, it's such an incredible journey. It really is. Thank you so much, Dr. Jessica Peck. And her book is Behind Closed Doors. Her podcast is Dr. Nurse Mama. January is Sex Trafficking Awareness Month. Remember the G.I. Joe cartoon when your kids were little? Knowing is half the battle. Yes, that's exactly right. That's right. The more you know. And you're right. It's not something we want to know. It's not something we're like, hey, let's talk about this today. <laughs> but... Yeah, you can imagine how many parties I get invited to. <laughs> exactly. They're like, oh, the girl that talks about sex trafficking and drugs. Yeah, let's have her. That's my calling, and, and I wear that badge proudly. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening to my podcast. That makes me feel like a million bucks. Hi, I'm Lori, and thanks for listening in today. We hope you've learned something new. Join us next week as we continue to talk with people that are making a difference. 